visiting. Today we've been going through a series um, in the Ten Commandments known as Ten Words for the World. And one of the reasons why we're studying the Ten Commandments is because uh, the Ten Commandments teach us how to love God and love others. It forms uh, the foundation of the Christian's morality, and it brings us to an understanding of our role within God's kingdom. And that in itself positions us to love others and to serve others as well. Um, Today we're going to be looking at the second of these commandments, and after studying the second commandment, I realized that there's no way I could teach on the entire commandment in one sitting. So I'm gonna pre- I'm gonna actually divide it up and teach on one aspect of it, and that is how the Ten Commandments, uh, at least how the second commandment affects us. And then next week, I'm gonna look at how the second commandment uh, commandment. I don't know why I see, keep saying that, but how the second commandment in, uh, affects God, which is. He turns into a jealous God. We're going to explain that. And then how the uh, second commandment, if we break the second commandment, the impact that it has on our families, right? Um, And that's all within the second commandment. So if you're visiting, you have to come back the second week um, in order to get the full commandment in. Um, All right. Uh, I, I keep reading these statistics on the commandments. And recently there was a statistic that said only 14 of us in this building can say all 10 commandments in order from the first one to the 10th one. Only 14% of us. That includes the pastors and elders. So um, it's, it's something that I think God's people need to have in their mind because this is what God has called us to obey and to listen to. So what I want us to do is I want us to read the 10 commandments together from verse 1 through verse 17. So let's read it all together. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall 
man as the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. This is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen and amen. Well, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, indeed, this is your word, and these are your people. Pray that you might speak through me to them. Lord, I pray that um, they might grasp your glory and your grace. And as a result of that, they might worship you. Pray that today they might learn uh, to worship you in your true form as the God of heaven. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. When Teresa and I uh, first visited CVBC in 2019, hard to believe it's that been that long, um, we were downstairs and somebody just walked right up to me and he said, I'm so glad you'll be here, uh, that you're here, but I just have to tell you, you are a lot shorter than I thought you were. <laughs> said, All right, well, where are you going with this? And I said, well, how, how tall, and I'm not going to say the person's name, you're not going to get it out of me, but they know who they are, right? I said, well, what gave you that, that idea that I, that I was taller than I am? And I said, and by the way, how tall do you th thought I was? He said, well, I, I thought you were at least 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, <laughs> and I said, you're, you're about three or four inches off. I'm only about 6'10". <laughs> Joking, I'm only 5'10", right? But, but at any rate, I, I said, well, what ever gave you that idea? Well, they said, well, the picture that they sent out. You know, the, the picture that they send out on, on the bulletin of you made you look taller than you were. And I said, you know, I get that. There's, there's some information that you didn't know. First of all, that my wife is five foot tall. <laughs> um, you know, I, I look like the children of Annex standing next to my wife, you know, and, and so most of you would as well. Um, but I love her being five foot tall. Don't, don't hear me uh, say I don't. And, and then the second thing that they didn't know is that the person who was actually taking the photo of us was kneeling down. And so the angle, right, trended upward. So we looked even taller than we actually were. And so it's fair for them to say, well, you know, I thought you were a little taller because that's how we appeared in the photo. Now, of course, that's a harmless example of how, uh, you know, somebody's image of me was altered a little bit from reality. But you know, um, there are other ways in which it could potentially be harmful. For instance, um, when it comes to our marriages. Now I was talking, I was uh, ministering to a couple, this was several years ago, and I sat down and counseling with them, and after talking with them for a while, I realized that um, they were both married or wanted to be married to the image of what they thought the other person should be, and not the person that actually existed in reality. The wife wanted the husband to be a certain way, and he wasn't. And the husband wanted the wife to be a certain way, and you know, she wasn't. And instead of being married and learning to love the person that's right in front of them, they had this image of the person they wanted to be married to, and it was very harmful in their marriage. Well, I, I know this is also the case when it comes to raising our children. You know, there are times as parents, you have this image of what you want your children to be. 
But that's not how it is in reality. And instead of trying to parent the child that God gave you in reality, you want to parent the child that you have constructed in your mind. Same thing go with parents. Children, you, you want what I call the Hollywood parent. You know that parent that lets you eat whatever you want and go to bed whenever you want, lets you stay out later and lets you wear whatever you want. That's, that's the parent that you want. But that's not the parent that God gave you. Instead of learning to love the parents that God gave you, you fight and you battle with them because you want the parent that you have imagined. You know, um, the fall, because of the fall, Genesis 3, our imaginations have been messed up. Screw it up, if you will. All of us want to shape reality and bend and mold it into what we want it to be. And why do we want to do that? Because it's easier to live in a world of our own making instead of the world that is right in front of us in reality. We all do this because we're all fallen, and all of us have fallen imaginations. We all want the world to be the way we want it to be because it's easier to live in a world of our own making instead of the world that God has laid out for us. We know how damaging that could be even in our cultural moment where you have little girls imagining that they're boys and little boys imagining that they're girls. And just recently I saw little children Imagining that they're animals, furries, I think they call them, when their biological reality is that they're humans. Now, as bad as all of that is, it's even more destructive when you and I imagine a God that doesn't exist. You know, the first commandment is God telling us, don't, don't worship another God. Don't have another God. But the second commandment is God telling us, if you are going to worship me, worship me as I have revealed myself in, in my word, not the way you want it. God is telling us, worship me for who I am, not the way you want me to be. Worship, worship me in the way I've revealed myself in my word, not the way you wish I revealed myself in my word. It's very destructive. The reason I, um, several years ago, attended a funeral. And, and the funeral had a beautiful liturgy. And a woman stood up in the funeral, and she started reading uh, her portion of the liturgy. And this is the text that she read, Lamentations chapter 3, 37 through 39. And it said this, Who has spoken and it came to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is, not, is, is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad came? Why should a living man complain, a man, about the punishment of his sin? And right after she read that, here's what she said. The lady said, I don't believe this portion of God's word. The God that I serve would never cause calamity and would never punish anyone. The reason I looked over at each other like, what? Why would she say that? Because she had a vision of God that didn't match reality. And by the way, this isn't a fringe verse. 
I mean, over and over in the Bible, we see this. Amos 3.6 says, shall there be evil in the city and the Lord has not caused it? Or what about Isaiah 45.7? I make well-being and create calamity. Or when Job was talking to his wife and he said, woman, you're talking like a fool. Shall not we receive good from the hand of the Lord and not evil? But, but what was this woman doing? This woman had a vision. She had constructed an image of God in her mind that was not consistent with the Bible. And by the way, she's not the only one. If you study church history, you see this popping up over and over again. Marcion, the early church Christian father, he went to the Bible and he took out the entire Old Testament. Do you know why he did that? Because he said he couldn't imagine a, a cruel God. And the, the God of the Old Testament is a cruel God. And so he just didn't want the Old Testament. So he got rid of it. And he only taught the New Testament to his people because the God in the Old Testament wasn't real in his mind. Also, Thomas Jefferson, the third president, he went to the Bible, specifically the New Testament, and he took out all the miracles in the New Testament that Jesus uh, did. Do you know why he did that? Because he couldn't conceive of a Jesus that was mystical. He wanted a rational Jesus. A Jesus that was rational. And everybody knows you cannot be rational and believe in miracles at the same time. Now, that's ridiculous. Of course you can. Of course you can. This is God's world, and God can act in this world however he wants. That's perfectly rational. But he couldn't do it. He had a vision of God, an image of God that didn't match reality. And because that's the case, that God couldn't stand. So he went through the Bible, and he took out all instances like that. But not only him, we see that in our day as well. How many times you've looked on the internet and see people say, I only believe in a God of love? Hmm? But not a God who punishes sin. Don't forget the same God who looked at the woman caught in adultery and said to her, hey, I don't condemn you. It's the same God who told her, go and sin no more. Now, let me ask you a question as we sit in here today. What image do you have of God? See, that's what the second commandment is talking about. The second commandment is saying and asking the question, what image do you have of God? What, what is the image of God in your mind? How do you conceive of God? Do you have a God, an image of God that's consistent with the Bible or one of your own making. Well, the Bible says that if we are to worship the living God, the way in which he has called us to, it must be the God of the Bible. And God is warning us here that if we, do, if we create an image of him that's not consistent with the God of the Bible, then we're not truly worshiping God. We're not. Now, the primary example of this, of course, if you look at scripture, in fact, let's look at the second commandment in verse number four. Because some of you are probably sitting here and saying to yourself, well, pastor, we just read this. And this clearly says that we shouldn't make a physical image of God to worship and bow down. So why are you talking about us imagining God? Well, well let's look at the passage. It says, you shall not make for yourself a, a carved image. Now, the word image there you can clearly see is the root word for imagination. And so hear me today. Any God that, that 
you make with your hands, that you carve with your hands, is a God that first started off in your heart. You reimagine a God in your heart before you can make a God with your hands. And so before they ever carved a physical image, it started off with an imagined God in their hearts. And what does the Bible say? After this God starts off in, they, in, in their hearts, they carved an image of what they wanted God to be, a likeness of him either in heaven above or earth beneath or in the water under the earth. Then the Bible says that they bow down to that God and serve that God. That's what, that's what we all do to some degree. But a classic example of this, of course, is in Exodus chapter 32. And most of us probably know the story of Exodus chapter two, 32, but just in case you don't, that's why I'm here, right? In Exodus chapter 32, what, what happened in Exodus chapter 32? Moses took long from coming down the mountain. And so the people said, all right, Moses is taking long, but we need gods to serve. So, so why don't you make us a god, Aaron? And what does Aaron do? The Bible says Aaron took all of their gold, he, he melted it out, and then he fashioned a golden calf. Now, whenever you read the Bible and you see statements like, he read a golden calf, I want you to ask questions. Like, why a calf and not a bull? Why did Aaron fashion something so small instead of something great? The reason why Aaron did that is because Aaron wanted a small and tiny God that the people of Israel could control. He wanted something unimpressive, something that wouldn't demand too much of them. So he made a golden calf, not a golden bull. And by the way, the Egyptians had a bull God that was very impressive, very strong, very powerful. But they didn't want that God. They also didn't want the God of Sinai because that's a threatening God. That's a God that demanded something from them. Instead, no, 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 they made this tiny, small God. And what did they do after they made this tiny, small God? Well, they fashioned it. They put it over in the corner, and the Bible says they rose up and played. Because that's the God they wanted. They wanted to create a God that would allow them to just rise up and play. A God that wouldn't hold them accountable for their sin. A God that wasn't going to require holiness from them. Or a God that wouldn't tell them to pick up your cross and follow after me. They wanted a God who wouldn't tell them to put their hands to the plow and work. Instead, they wanted a God that they could just play in front of. And play, they did. They, they drank as much as they wanted to. They ate as much as they wanted to. They slept with whoever they wanted to. Now, here's the irony of all of this. What did they say they wanted? The irony of all of this is that they wanted a God powerful enough to lead them out of Egypt, but not a God powerful enough to run their life. We heard about that even in Sunday school where um, Debbie gave her testimony. She said there was a time in her life where God became her savior, but then she also realized that she needed a God who can be her Lord. Listen, a golden calf cannot be your Lord. And by the way, it cannot be your Savior. Most of us create this image of God where, yes, he is our Savior. 
but we want to rise up and play before him. We don't want to be held accountable to him. Does that sound familiar to you? Because that's the God of our culture. We, everyone knows that they need a savior. We, we're all, we, we know enough to where we know we need a savior. But you know what? We don't really want a God that requires too much of us. A God that will call us to sacrifice our time and our energy and our money. We don't like a God like that, but that's the God of the Bible. You know, um, it's interesting. If you read through the Bible over and over again, the Bible, Jesus, uh, at least God tells the children of Israel, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do you know why he keeps telling them that? Think, think with me for a moment. Why does he keep telling them, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Because in each one of their lives, God came into their life and completely took control of their life. First of all, take Abraham. Abraham was comfortable in Ur. He was living a nice middle-class life in Ur. He had all of his friends. He had a job. He was just going about his business. And what does God do to Abraham and Ur? Well, he goes to him, and he says, you need to leave Ur. You need to pack up all your stuff, and you need to go to the land of promise. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you have a God like that? Do you have a God that if he comes to you right now and says, you know what? You have to quit your job, pack up everything, and I'm going to send you where I want you to go. Are you close enough to a God like that? Or, you, or do you just have a God where you rise up and play in front of him? Not a God that you're close enough that could demand that you leave everything that you have behind now and go to a foreign land. Same thing with Isaac. You know, Isaac was deprived he wanted children. God didn't give him that. There's a whole bunch of things he wanted. He wanted the, the, the blessings of the covenant, but God delayed that. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you have a God big enough to deprive you for a long time, but yet you still worship him as the Lord your God? Are you close to en enough to him? Or what about Jacob? You know, Jacob's name is supplanter, meaning he had a character flaw. He always wanted to usurp authority. Well, do you have a God that changes your character? Do you have a God that can mold you and shape you in what he wants you to be? Or are you comfortable just being who you are with nothing to change? See, if you have a God of your own making, you will never be challenged. You'll never change. You'll never be able to truly glorify God the way you ought to because you have a God made in your own image. See, God made us in his, in his image so we can be like him. He doesn't want to be made in your image to make him like us. That's the opposite of what he calls us to do. Now, real quickly, I want to talk about why or how does breaking the second commandment truly impact us truly impact us. And here's how. Um, because ultimately, you become what you worship. G.K. Beale uh, wrote a book entitled We Become What We Worship. It's a scholarly work. If you're interested in reading something like that, I highly recommend James uh, R. Smith, You Are What You Love, which is a more popular work, but along the same lines. And both of them have the same thesis. 
the reason why the second commandment is so important to you and I is because we become what we worship. Here's what G.K. Beale says. People will always reflect something, whether it be God's character or some feature of the world. If people are committed to God, they will become like him. If they are committed to something other than God, they will become like, th like that thing. Always spiritually inanimate and empty like the lifeless and vain aspects of creation which they have committed themselves to. You, everyone inside here today, do not be fooled. You might be a Christian and you might not be a Christian. You might be seeking. But know this, we become like what we worship. And if we have a distorted view of God, a God that's imagined, we will become like that thing. Listen to Psalm 115, 4 through 8. But their idols are silver and gold, made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot uh, smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will become like them, and so will all who trust in them. Hear me today, if you serve a God who's weak and passive, you'll become weak and passive. If you serve a God that is not glorious, then you won't be glorious for him. But on the flip side, if you serve the true and living God, you will be a vibrant, living being. Because you will become like him. So many times as a Christian, we feel powerless. Our lives feel not efficacious. So many times as Christians, we feel like we're just going through the motions. That's a good time to pause and ask yourself the question, which God am I serving? Is it the God of the Bible? Because the God of the Bible is a God of power. The God of the Bible is the God who gives life and fills us with life. And we're not serving that God, then we expect to not be like him, lifeless, dead. The God of the Bible cares about the lost. And if we don't care about the lost, then we're not following the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible cares about the poor. He seeks justice and mercy. And if we're not, if we're not passionate about those things, then we can't be serving the God of the Bible because if we become like him, we get his heart and his mind. Now, if you're sitting down there thinking to yourself, well, Pastor Dennis, how do I get a right image of God? Well, again, that's why I'm here. I'm going to tell you. I want to point out two things, and then we'll close. The first is, how do we get a right image of God? Look, that's why worship is so important. That's why worship is so important. I don't know if you read your bulletin, but in your bulletin, in the invocation, which is the prayer, it says this. There have been many times this week that we have lost sight of you. Restore our eyes of faith in this hour that we may revere your name all the more. What, what is that asking us to do? Why is worship so important? Worship gives us an image of the true God. That's why when you come to CVPC, what, what do we do? Maybe this is your first time. Well, let me tell you what we do. We follow what is known as the regulative principle of worship. And, and it's a principle that says this. Whatever God prescribes in his word, we do. So God right, prescribes prayer in worship. So we pray. 
God describes reading the word in worship. So we read the word. There's all sorts of things that we do. Why? Because we want to give you an accurate representation of who God is. That's why we don't do snake handling. I mean, it would be cool. It would be kind of dangerous. But why don't we do that? Because that won't reflect the glory and character of God. We only do in the worship service what will reflect the glory and majesty of God. Because when you leave here today, you might reject the God that was proclaimed and you saw in this worship service. But you will will be rejecting an accurate representation of God. I cannot tell you how many times I meet people who've rejected God, but it's not the God of the Bible. When you come to CVBC, you see God for who he is. And all of us need that because all of us forget. All of us forget. But there's a second thing that helps us to see God rightly. And that's why we preach Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ helps us to see who God truly is. It's him. Now, who does the Bible say Jesus is? Well, in Galatians 1.15, it says that he is the express image of God. He is the image of God. In Philippians 2, he says he came in the form of God. Jesus is the word made flesh. If you read through the Old Testament, you just get the words of God. But when you go into the New Testament, what do you get? You get the image of God, the word of God that's made flesh. And so when we look at Jesus, what do we see? Who do we see? We see God in all of his glory, in all of his majesty. The word has to become flesh. I I heard a preacher recently gave an illustration that can resonate with all parents. He talked about how um, he was upstairs and his children were downstairs yelling and screaming. And then he starts yelling and screaming with his kids. And his kids wouldn't listen to him. And finally he had to go downstairs. Well, what was he doing? The word had to become flesh. Right? You all know this. It just happened to me recently. My kids were yelling and screaming, and I'm like, you all be quiet down there, and I'm yelling and screaming. And finally, I had to get up and walk downstairs. My words had to become flesh in order for them to take me seriously, for all of them to understand what I'm saying. And the same thing is true today. Jesus Christ had to become flesh because he is the image of the invisible God, and he reveals him like nothing else can. And that's why when you come here, you see Jesus high and lifted up. We talk about him. We pray to him because he is the image of God. He gives you an accurate representation. You want to know what the heart of God is? Read the New Testament and look at Jesus. You see what God loves. You see what God hates. You see what God pursues. Beloved, hear me today. If you want to worship the true and living God as he's revealed in this word, make worship a priority. And make loving Jesus a priority. Through those things, we were worshiping rightly and we were able to love one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Uh, This commandment is so powerful and we still have more to go. Lord, I wish only if we had months to delve into the second commandment, but we don't. So I pray that whatever light you gave us today might be sufficient in order for us to worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, be with these people, all of us. um, We have fallen imaginations. 
we don't view you the way we ought to. And so I'm thankful for times like this, times like today, in which we could reorient ourselves to you. And when we worship you rightly, we are able to love and serve others well. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.